Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Front Range. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. My name is Addison Howard. I'm one of the elders here at the church. No matter where you're joining us, from the road, maybe from a friend or family's house, or on your on the couch, in your pajamas, wherever that is, we hope the Front Range becomes a home for you. Hope this becomes a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Now, being the week after Christmas, we uh, go online only. We give both our Front Range staff and all of our Dream Team members a chance to spend some extra time with friends and family and to take the week off to spend, uh, to rest and recover a little bit from all the hard work we've done across the holidays. And now, I've noticed, though, that this week in between Christmas and New Year's is kind of an odd week, right? Like, it's, it's not Christmas anymore, but it's not yet New Year's. So some of us are working, but a lot of us aren't. And so those of us that are working don't have anybody to work with. I mean, well, we have college, uh, college bowl games, but it's like the San Diego State County Credit Union Holiday Bowl and the Johnny Sharp's Neighbors Used Car Dealership Bowl. So we're kind of stuck in this in-between time, this normal, ordinary time. And what do we do with it? So I've got my notes, I've got my Bible, I hope you got a coffee. Let's take a moment and let's jump in and see what does the Bible say, what can we learn from God today about this in-between time? How do we use the normal time wisely? See, I think it's apparent that our culture seems to be wired toward whatever the next big thing is. Maybe we don't work out normally, but then we sign up for a 5K, the big event, and we start training really hard. Or we go to work on Monday, and all we can think about is the weekend. Or maybe even, you know, we see ourselves taking down our Christmas decorations. It's only going to be about three days until we see Valentine's Day decorations. And then we have Easter, and then Mother's Day, and then Fourth of July, and then Talk Like a Pirate Day. And then it's going to have Christmas decorations all over again on sale. We're constantly jumping from big thing to big thing. And the same is true, I believe, in our spiritual lives. We find ourselves drawing closest to God at the highs and the lows, at Christmas and Easter, maybe just from Sunday to Sunday or the big conference or retreat, or we find our faith sort of waxing and waning based off of the successes and blessings that God's given us. We're excited and we draw closer in times where maybe we're financially prosperous or we're healthy or our kids are in a great position or finances are doing well, whatever that may be, we only find ourselves, uh, we only find it easier for us to draw closer to God in maybe these big, irregular events. And don't get me wrong, these big events are great. We're like, we should celebrate all the times we can gather together on Sundays. We should celebrate when uh, God chooses to uh, show himself and bless us in our lives or when we're doing very well and we're healthy financially and physically or when we can gather together as a family and friends But living only for those big moments is not just unsustainable, it's not biblical. See, an emotional high is one thing, but that doesn't lead towards the type of change that we're seeking for. A true joy, the depth of peace, genuinely changed behavior from the heart, those are the things that we're actually longing for. I think a lot of us see this pretty common in athletics. You know, we don't rarely see some of the greatest athletes of all time, your LeBron James, your Steph Currys, 
I hate to say it, but you're Tom Brady's. We don't see them at the championship game being interviewed, and they say, hey, how'd you do it? And they said, well, I just showed up, and I, and I got lucky. No, we hear them outline how every single regular season game mattered. We hear stories of athletes being the first to the gym and the last to leave. They won't leave without making a 1,000 made shots. They so finally tune and calibrate their workout schedule and their diets and their rest and their recovery, all such that when the big event happens, they're ready. They start their training in the everyday, in the regular, and in the in-between. So how do we, how do you and I capitalize on ordinary? What does God say about living in the normal? So today I have just two very brief things that I believe the Bible is telling us of how we can spend this, not just between Christmas and New Year's time, but how do we spend any other time that's outside of the big events, the highs and lows of life, in a way that helps us to serve and love God better. And the first is this. Uh, The first we're looking at in the Bible today is to commit to prayer and thankfulness. Commit to prayer and thankfulness. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I'll be one of the first to admit, I'm not very great at praying in the ordinary, right? Praying around meals or maybe around really big uh, big events are okay. It's easy for me to give thanks and pray when things are going great and maybe to reach out for help when things aren't going well, but it's kind of hard for me to pray regularly, much less without ceasing. So easy for me to get distracted. But I found actually uh, there's a little bit of a parallel in my own life that I think uh, makes a lot of sense here. As many of you may know, I'm a bit of a Colorado cliche. I used to have a Jeep Wrangler and a dog that would sit in the front seat. I love hiking, I love snowboarding, and I'm pretty sure once I start brewing my own craft beer, they just give me the keys to the city. I think it's in the Constitution somewhere for the state. But hiking has always been my most committed hobby, especially hiking 14ers, which here in Colorado or any of the mountains that are above 14,000 feet. I know a lot of you have hiked at least one, and maybe you're like me. The first time you stand on the summit, it just becomes addicting. There's just this captivating view. In fact, there's a photo here that I took of one of these summits I was up uh, standing on top of just outside of Telluride. And now this was taken just with my phone. Imagine what that would look like in person being there yourself. See, when you're on top of the summit, you can see for miles. You're surrounded by snow-covered peaks. Maybe you can look down and see the crystal clear blue waters of the lakes below. You can look back at where you started. You both feel on top of the world as well as so very small. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's truly an unbelievable feeling and experience. Except the summit is really just a brief moment of the hike. It's just the smallest blip in the extent of the full journey of the outdoors hiking experience. I mean, it's barely even the halfway point. There's been some mountains for which I've driven six hours each way, only to sleep at sub-freezing temperatures, getting sick and nauseous before I start, spending 12 hours round trip hiking, only to stand on the top of the mountain for 10 minutes. It's such a small piece of it standing on top. 
And it's important to know that in hiking, the grit that you need to endure, the uh, that you need to endure isn't built on the mountaintops. That grit is built in the valleys, in the meadows, in the slog, in the thorns. It's built in the normal part of the hike. In the same way, the foundation of our faith isn't built on the mountaintops. It's built in the everyday. We can't simply turn to God in prayer and thanksgiving between Sundays or on Christmas and Easter or that one time at the retreat or the conference or only in between our successes and our achievements. It's built in the ordinary. We shouldn't simply look to the next spiritual breakthrough as maybe that's when I'll get my act together. We have to look for those daily opportunities in the mundane on the everyday Tuesday. And that's what builds the foundation of our faith. But the Bible actually gives us the posture, the posture of our hearts that will transform our everyday into that praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. But how? Why? Like, it'd be one thing if instead of just being told, hey, try and do better at giving thanks all the time and praying all the time. But what if instead we were also given a fresh heart and a fresh perspective, and then those actions in our lives actually overflowed, that the posture of our heart allowed thankfulness and prayer to come out so naturally? That's actually what we find out in the next few verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 23 and 24, it gives us the reason why we can give thanks in all circumstances and how we can have a spirit of never-ending prayer. We pick it up and the rest we'll see that says that we can rest in the hope that God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God will make you holy. He will sanctify you. He will cleanse you and free you from your sin. He is faithful. He will do it. It doesn't say, hey, you know what? If you come up with a really good New Year's resolution, you start it in just a few days and you really stick to it, then God's gonna come through for you. No, it says he is the one who acts on your behalf. He is the one who steps in and provides for you and I. So you and I, we can rest in the hope. It's only through Jesus that we can rest in that hope. It's through his grace and mercy, through his forgiveness of our sins by a sacrifice on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He took death upon himself that we might have life. And I don't know about you, but that truth is worth thanksgiving. That that truth, having that amazing, uh, life-altering truth in my mind and in front of me at all times is one that gives me the posture of prayer and of thanksgiving and be able to walk around on an ordinary basis and be able to give thanks to God for what he has done. So here's one practical next step that I know I've used before with this. Take an index card or a sticky note or something and write spiritual truths or verses and put these in places where you know you're going to be. I know I don't wake up every morning thinking, man, here's the, a bunch of scripture that I memorized. I can rattle it off. So I want to put this in places that I know I'm already going to be throughout the day. So I'll write something down and I'll, uh, I'll tape it to my bathroom mirror. I'll put it on the dash of my car, maybe in the kitchen or in the snack drawer that I'm going to always be going to at work. 
Or another really good one that uh, I often use too is the Bible app on your phone. They have tons of great background images and really cool artwork that you can make your lock screen or the background of your phone. So every time you're picking up your phone, you're putting that same truth in front of your mind. See, I found that, it, that this helps me to pray, to talk with God in a way that's not only when things are good or when things are bad, but even in the mundane, ordinary times of life, because he is good. And so the first thing that we've learned about ordinary living is we're called to prayer and thanksgiving. And the second piece that the Bible tells us about that I want to look at this morning is a commitment to serving. Commitment to serving. Now, I want to present what I hope is uh, something that might change your perspective on this. this. This legitimately blew my mind when I first heard about this a few years ago. I used to always have this belief that in order to mature as a Christian, in order to become a better follower of Jesus, it all started in my mind. If I just memorized enough scripture or if I read the right books on Christian faith, if I gained enough knowledge of Greek and Hebrew meanings, then I'd get closer to Jesus. This term that we often hear in church of discipleship, it really kind of equates to more and better Bible studies and more and better accountability. I had this thought that if I did just maybe a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more, eventually I would arrive at becoming this, this mature disciple, this mature Christian. But we'll never arrive. We'll never arrive because through Jesus, there's nothing that you and I could ever do that would make us any closer or further from God than we currently are. In fact, the, uh, the sign of a mature disciple is not based on these things that we can do or things that we can learn, but how we love and serve others. Go and take a look at what Jesus actually says about this in the Bible. When he's literally instructing his disciples, he doesn't ask them, hey, how are you doing at getting closer to God? Because they were already close to him. No, instead he asks them, how are you doing at loving others? He doesn't say, hey, you should learn more. You should modify your behaviors a bit more. He says, you should love others more. In fact, in John, uh, the book of John, chapter 13, verse 35, it says this. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is like a revolutionary idea for me, that our maturity as Christians is not based on, uh, on what's happening up here, but rather how we're actually acting and carrying out that love for one another with our hands and feet. That the sign of a disciple is not exegetical prowess or the depth of hermeneutics or how many other SAT Bible words we know. No, instead, it's how we love one another. Now, those things are fine and they're healthy and they're good, right? And I've said before, I love chatting about it. I will grab a coffee or a drink with you and we can debate, we can chat, we can discuss, we can cry, we can laugh, we can understand, but it's not what makes a mature disciple. The sign of a disciple is how we love and serve others. You know, when Jesus is asked this by the religious leaders, uh, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, hey, you want to know how to love your neighbor as yourself? I want you to go find the people that uh, may make you uncomfortable. 
It may make you lose respect. It may cause you financial burden. And those are the people that you're supposed to love. That is a sign of maturity. And once again, this doesn't have to be a, a special big event. I think a lot of times we, uh, we're hoping that God will help us figure out where to serve by opening the clouds and sending a unicorn down to our front door and then we open it and then they hand us a schedule that has a list of when and where to serve in a way that very conveniently fits our already busy lifestyle. No, we're gonna do that in the day in, the day out, the ordinary, the mundane, the Monday to Saturday, the in-between Christmas and New Year's. The fact is, uh, the question to ask yourself is when we encounter people in our lives, the people who Jesus loves, the unlovely, the oppressed, the people who are very different than us, the people who may have even harmed us in some way, do we figure out a way that we can be, uh, that we can avoid being interrupted? Or do we actually see them, look at them in the eyes and see them as someone that is created in the image of God? Do we ask ourselves the question, how can I love that person right here, right now? So our motivation to serve, the influence of Jesus's work on the cross for us in our lives that inspires us to go serve isn't just applicable on a Sunday or a special event. And so I think today, a takeaway is this, this doesn't mean that we can simply say, hey, I'll start serving when school starts back up. Or I'll start giving up my talents when I sort of get all my ducks in a row. Or, you know, hey, I heard there's this cool mission trip happening this summer overseas. That's when I really start investing and serving and loving others. Because your call to service is not on a, hey, go and do this and this other event basis. Our call to love others is on a, as you are going about your regular life. So my challenge for you is this. How can we create better routines and rhythms in our lives that will deepen the foundation of our faith? How do we look to the ordinary and not to the special events? Now, you're honestly, you're not gonna wanna miss out on next, week, next week's message where we're gonna go into this a little bit more detail, but I don't want you to just wait until next Sunday for that. And so uh, wherever you are, wherever you're tuning in, uh, take a moment and go to our website. We have tons of resources on our website. You can also type in the chat where you can fill out our Connect card and we'll make sure that we can get you more information on how to get involved in serving, how to give you more resources with prayer and thankfulness. But the work that Jesus has done for us, it's so incredible, it's so mind-blowing, so life-altering, so countercultural that we can't afford to wait until. We can't afford to wait until things simmer down, until our political climate cools off until our kids go back to school or until we have our finances in order or COVID or whatever's happening in our lives. We can't wait until. Because the good news, the good news what Jesus has done for us compels us to pray in the ordinary, to give thanks in the ordinary, and to serve in the ordinary. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for uh, this time in our lives where we can gather with family and with friends and celebrate your son coming to earth to save us from our sins for his grace and mercy. And Lord, we ask that you simply not, uh, not let us get stuck in the big moments and looking forward to the big events of our lives, but rather you help us to build uh, routines in the ordinary. Look for ways to give you thanks, to give you glory, and to serve others 
in the everyday, the normal, the mundane, in the in-between times. Father, I ask that you uh, help, help put your grace and mercy at the forefront of our minds in our daily lives. Help present us with people in our lives that, uh, that need to be loved in ways that we've otherwise been ignoring or looking towards big events. Help us to see others the way that you see them. Help us to see your work on the cross the way that you have done so, the way that you have loved us, that we may have life. And help us to see the depth of that, that we can't do anything other than give you thanks, give you praise. Lord, I ask that all that we do leading up to this new year will not be fruitless, that we use this time wisely, that we capitalize on the ordinary, that you're able to give us the presence of mind and the thoughts that are able to glorify you and put you at the front and at the center. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.